I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hi, everyone. My name is Saumya Murthy. I was the chief customer officer of Seven Lakes Technologies. Uh, it was acquired last year by W Energy Software. And I'm going to be talking to you about reducing burn rate of human beings. So it's going to be a completely different conversation than you've been involved in up until now. And uh, very quickly, as a chief customer officer, I was primarily responsible for numbers. And over time, um, basically, I was brought in to do marketing and, and up owning sales as well. And uh, in a $7 million AR company, you need someone who's also helping groom the team and the leadership. So over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about three big market pivot points and mark the people pivot points along the way. The first one, this was a very solid services company when I came on board. How did we pivot from services to SaaS and get that product market fit? There were three pieces there around a really big, this was an oil and gas AI-based software company, so we got hit with a market downturn right when we were going to product. What did we do around focus that really helped reduce that burn rate? And also, we took that functional lens off and started to put a more psychological and organic talent lens. I'm going to talk to you a bit about what that did and started to identify in-house talent of everyone from office managers to engineers on how we went to market around marketing. Then the next pivot point came around when we started to grow and ran into product implementation challenges and we needed to use, again, that psychological lens to know what talent gap do we have, not necessarily functional, solve the problem and then use two other really important piece of grooming internal leaders and also taking folks who are naturally more oriented towards variety and not try to force them in some hierarchical ladder, right? So how did we do talent management to do that growth to 7 million? And then, of course, we all got hit with that 2020, and for us, it was a negative $20 barrel of oil, and so we got hit again and needed to retrench. This was survival, so if y'all are into what that piece is going to be around, we ta I'll talk a little bit about context switching and what we did there, and also there's a whole bunch of unpaid emotional labor that happens during survival, so I'm going to talk a wee bit about what we did in addition to managing numbers on human beings, and finally, the myth we were really focused on busting the myth that it's lonely at the top because that really doesn't work in a startup environment. So I'm going to talk a bit about those. Just to, as I said, in those pivot points from a revenue perspective, the first people pivot was around really 
really when we hit the ground running product market fit. The second one's going to come around the $4.99 million number. And the third pivot's going to come around when we were doing our survival mode and we were acquired in May, 22, uh, May 2022. So setting the footprint, pivoting in 2016. Uh, this was, like I said, a solid $15 million revenue services company awesome founder, awesome company. We were in the product stage of, of course I'm going to say that, <laughs> uh, product market fit. And the critical expertise this company already had from a functional perspective was oil and gas. Badass oil and gas exploration and production. And systems integration, really strong R&D engineering roots. Of the, uh, towards the end of the 70, uh, 52 of us were still engineers and remained that. We wanted to keep it that way, right? Roots um, in that stage of growth. And culturally, introverts, critical thinkers, super independent, very approachable. And our engineering base was in India, and the founder and the roots of the company was also Indian descent in America. Uh, functional, I came in as a functional talent acquisition in US with enterprise, US enterprise experience. And uh, we brought in sales, marketing, and finance. Our CFO uh, was there as well. In India, we continued to acquire, um, we had a uh, the Indian um, average, Bangalore average attrition rate is about 29% uh, percent or so. Ours was at its best 11%. And so we had a really good, strong way of acquiring and retaining talent. And um, of course, we start off with a market decline right when we hit the ground running. So the very first burn lesson that we learned was, you know, communicate change is actually medicine. So how is it medicine? Market turns, uh, completely shifts the way it buys, shuts down in a very dramatic way. Not just shuts down talking, it actually shuts down the budgets, right? So we use that, our founder, to this day, just an excellent uh, pivot master. And we had a team of very deliberative analytical engineers who would have done analysis paralysis. We used the situation to say, Let's focus on these 20 plus options that we have to go to market and really focused on one to two and uh, signal to the marketplace using customer experience led uh, prototyping that we're all used to. It was uh, now in the burnout section, the folks that came in from the US enterprise, as you can imagine, struggled with this dynamic move and this, this, the uh, nature of uh, that kind of a pivot. But the original service bootstrappers thrived for the most part. And the wins, we hit the ground running with $2.2 million ARR, 60 new logos added. And the biggest part, in this market, if you don't have an enterprise deal, your market uh, marquee accounts, you're not going to make it for long. So we were able to hit that. And we had a really strong market entry to go up against our competitors were $300 million AR companies, existing incumbents, right? And um, uh, uh, vertically oriented quorum and P2. So what we said was, hey, let's keep doing more of this, looking at our internal talent. But none of us were extreme talent experts. So what I'm about to show you is a lens that we in-house developed. Now, guys. There are a whole slew of AI based and other personality profiling things. So please don't look at these, although, although it's in a box. 
look at this more as a lens we created to start having normalizing language around organic talent because we human beings are complex designs, right? This is a psychological architecture of all of us. If we fully expanded and became Buddhas, we would be all of this, right? But we're human and we're going to expand in particular ways and designs. Now, uh, very quickly, when you look at that up top, how do you make decisions based on objects, thinking, or based on people? And we live in some kind of range in our, in our way, and as you grow into the level of chief and run companies, you ought to have the flexibility, but this is one way. Left to right, how do you process information? Internally fully, or are you out there constantly externally processing, right? So what we did was, over time, we developed the language of, it's, we couldn't just talk about the genius or organic talent. We wanted to also say, what does actual burnout look like? Because can we recognize it in each other? And we created radical transparency so people could come up to me or the founder or anyone else and say, hey, this is your behavior help out because and then so very quickly to map it out the more going to driver i heard someone say challenging earlier when you spoke you're challenging in your detail just genius right otherwise you won't have any control you won't be winning and hitting targets but you pass that pedal too hard and it's not the right sequencing, you're going to get impatience and and and, and tunnel vision and poor listening and overly intense guilty and as you go into, but the roots and talent of this organization was primarily in building. Man, systems thinking, detail-oriented. This is what you want in your engineers, but you push that pedal too hard and they want to focus in their genius, they look indecisive. They look like they don't hold their ground in conflict. And you need that. And you, you analysis paralysis and getting too critical. Now, this was also a talent we found in-house. Really empathic, can seek acceptance. We needed that. When customers, big customers come in, man, they want to be heard. So listening, encouraging. But when those guys are trying to solve a problem that requires some other genius, they push too hard in their genius area, they try to solve everything on their own, avoid conflict. All of a sudden, you, you, you start going in directions you don't want to go. The talent pool we didn't really have in-house a whole lot was, but we had enough of it in the leadership team was around connector or often known as agreeableness, which is seeking recognition, influencership, persuasion, improvising. You push that pedal too hard and you don't have other genius areas, lack of detail, follow through, impulsive. Here's a good footprint. Why this becomes important is as I give other case study and talent profiles, I'm gonna walk you through how the founder and the leadership team would use this language continuously to say, let's stop over-indexing just on numbers, but let's watch our humans. Let's watch our humans, right? So one example around what we did was Beginner mindset, right? So when we wanted to do that market launch in the beginning, up against $300 million companies, we wanted to create our own brand and look big, right? So, but 
marketing talent besides me. And so we looked at our office managers, engineers, everyone in there, and started to assess their natural talent. There was natural improvisation talent, natural driver talent, natural these pieces. And we had executives who had templates on how to do some of this and some of the, um, the nits and grits of marketing, if you will. So what we did was we did, created a six-month program to say, look, guys, you self-enroll, you self-exit. This is you saying you want to do this, right? Full agency. And you get creative ownership, front of board, executive coaching. These are folks taking on some very heavy-duty things in their mid-20s, late-20s. And we were putting them in extreme situations, and they did fantastic. We had to monitor for one thing. This company had the roots of buildership, which is what? Everything's got to be perfect. It's, you're putting code out. It's got to be. No, you can't. This is marketing. You got to get out the door. So it created a lot of pressure for them because they believed accuracy was it. So helping them step off that and, and move into created a lot of contribution. At the end, these guys were brand design architects, evangelists, you know, managing our digital events management ship. All of that with a team of four people, uh, four to five people making it happen. So talent can expand. So let's jump into people pivot number two. Over here, remember, this was when product implementation issues were happening, right? I'm going to talk about how do you address and quickly figure out talent gaps, and then where do you see natural leadership, and can you groom them? Are they open? And then there's a type of X factor person. You know that person who doesn't want to be put in a box? You need that person. That's your utility player. You're going to want to put them in any type of position. So we found that person. So we needed natural, steady leaders, variety, talent gaps. So that's three plays that we used in, in reducing burnout um, it, to get to 7 million ARR. So over here, supplementing that talent gap and addressing burnout, the issue that we had was we were, we were climbing into that $4 million zone, and our customers were expecting, this is Exxon, mind you, they're expecting a, a, a two to three month on integration or time to value of their product. Because of what I'll explain to you in a short bit, it was taking closer to 12 months on a set of things. Retention was going to drop very quickly, right? So why was that happening? Really talented individuals. What we found once we took one executive off of the rails and went into focus because as executives we were drivers, we went in and what we saw was in the implementation team, super talented consultative data guys, but very consensus building, trying to get everybody on board. And on the builder side, solutioning till the cows come home. Heard this one before, right? So they were working so hard, burning themselves out and trying to solve it all themselves. So executive steps in. What are executives? We better be this, right? Otherwise, we don't have a business. So timelines, priorities. First, we went in and said, as an executive, what are we doing? And so we very quickly were able to get that down to two to three months. That impacted that logo retention and built a really strong customer base of, like I said, at ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, and uh, seven of the top 20 oil, uh, exploration oil and production companies were ours by that point. Why did we do it? Quick, quick notes over there. We were able to identify, negotiate with customers, what's exactly that you need. So reporting data needed to be out in configuration upfront. They needed to establish a set of templates, 
we didn't have to do. They wanted, we wanted to expose a bunch of data, so they stopped, they were able to see what's happening and establish a critical issue path. The minute we did that, we were able to go expand and hire technical drivers, project managers, not traditional customer success manager. We don't want traditional. We wanted technical project managers who come in and help drive this amazingly talented team and gave them a footprint of what to drive, what metrics to drive, and set them loose. And so the growth happened more naturally once we figured out what that talent gap was. Now, two drivers, you're gonna get a lot of burned out people, I'm including myself in that. We needed someone who weren't reacting to two hyper assertive, push, push, push people. Shiva's not here, but I'm sure he'll admit he's one of them too. He's, he's a founder after all. So what we found was this incredible leader who had the steadiness, could meet metrics, but was an outstanding tactician, right? Really solid MIT, IIT roots, could build out these services templates. We naturally graduated him to product leadership. What we were grooming him for was deep listening, empathy, things that we didn't have the flexibility go be, we needed to stay in our driver routes. So he started to build in, because he had to now get customer success managers, engineers, all on a delivery path. He got us all the way to biweekly release, which we weren't able to establish before his leadership. Did a phenomenal job of also then, our customers needed to see bench strength, not just two, three executives running the show, right? Again, we're up against, at this point in our game, we were up against Salesforce and Microsoft winning deals there. They wanted to see bench strength. So this leader starts to groom those around him and starts, we start to groom him, naturally has the ability, starts to become a nurturer, and we coach him a bit on gaining mastery and how to bring customers along and make it their idea. He now runs that entire, and is now uh, owner of platform, um, for W Energy and is uh, doing phenomenally in that area. And the X Factor guy, right? Very different character. Outstanding strategist, does not want to stay in projects for too long, but what do we do? We need to be able to, so we leverage this incredible talent because we're going up against world-class sales talent, you guys, and we needed to look big and strong. We needed performers. What do Microsoft have? They're performers, right? So we took an outstanding strategist. We start, stuck them with the founder whose brain is running multi-million, I mean, million uh, miles an hour and took prototyping. And he was able to take that and bring it from design all the way into implementation and started to groom him around improvisation, connector, groom him behind the scenes. He had a natural ability to be a comedian, and we took some of that and took his ability to be an engineer and groomed that into doing just world-class demos. Audiences, our customers would have audiences of 30, 40 people on some of these RFPs. He'd go there and crush it. So all our revenue was developed off of this one dude, right? Sales engineer, amazing talent. So sometimes burn, burnout looks in a different way. Now he's a master teacher in the company that he's in. Um, so hopping over to pivot three, three things I wanna talk about. This is where um, the market hits us again. We go to, uh, I can give him three minutes. 
thing over here in context switching, emotional hygiene, and lonely at the top. So what we did was we didn't want to mess with our existing revenue, so we kept that team as closely formationed as possible. I know that's not a word. So digital channel, we said we needed to show the market, and if we're going to go into acquisition, we needed to show that we could grow the small side of the business. So we hired a coach. We got some more people into the mix so we could actually train, and we did hit good numbers there. We had a goal of eight new buyers, we'd reduced the sales cycle and set ourselves up in a good way, and we didn't burn these people out because they needed to hold our revenue steady. And uh, from an emotional hygiene perspective, I'll just bring your eyes to this piece. When we are in a survival mode, they're natural empaths who begin to do therapy and, and resolving interpersonal and start regulating that doesn't serve anybody else around. So we started to create, and especially on the customer team zone, right? That's their natural empaths. So we started to create, we could have, of course, done a much better job, but we created how to normalize um, emotional hygiene in a company of really regulated engineers. How do we create more emotional language and expression? So it becomes more normalized um, in a team of leadership that was over-indexed towards metrics. And finally, leadership at the top gets pretty lonely on some of these downturns and curves. I'm just going to bring your attention to all the way up top. Um, the wisdom comes in multiple places. I know all of you in this room probably have the investors and in-the-trench SaaS coaches and if you're anything like me, you're doing a whole bunch of art and whatever else you can to stay human, right? I just want to bring your attention to customers. The thing that I never saw coming that was fabulous was in the trenches were executive level ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, giving us market knowledge that they weren't giving the competitors, helping us in deals, giving us competitive intelligence, give, being more price flexible. The kind of showmanship that happened was why? We were doing things in the market nobody else was. So we leaned in and created an executive advisory board that was phenomenal. And, and uh, I think that was what saved us and, and, and uh, made us ready for acquisition. So over the last 20 minutes, I talked about three pivot points. And, and uh, yeah. Well, that was a quick wrap up, Samia. Thank you very much.